And uh, I'm super stoked to be here and to be a part of this. Um, I, uh, I know we're talking about scary stories, right? And uh, Jacob shared last week, and uh, I was thinking about scary stories. And I like to, like, run all of my messages by my wife first, first and foremost because, like, she's the filter for me, which... I need a filter. Any dudes, like you need a filter from what you say sometimes, yeah? It's only me. Okay, one honest person. Eli, thank you. Oh, Ethan, thank you. Uh, I love that. So I ran this story by my wife, and she was like, you can't sell that story. But I was like, yo, it's scary stories, and they're high schoolers. So I'm going to tell it anyways. <laughs> so I'm sorry my wife tried to tell me. So, um, okay. And it is, it, I'll be honest, it is a little weird. So just kind of hang with it. Uh, so like a couple years ago, three and a half years ago, I met this dude who kind of became like a mentor to me. And it was one of those like friendships where... Like, you haven't known them for very long, but, like, in a short time, we became really close. Do you know what I'm talking about? You guys ever had those relationships where it's like, you, yeah, it's like you haven't spent as much time as you have with other people, but, like, you're close. And he really took, like, a leadership in my life. But how do I say this? Like, I, I think he's amazing, but he's a little odd. Like, 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 we agreed on so many things theologically, but, like, the way that he lived some of it out was just different. So he didn't go to this church, um, but, like, one time we were hanging out, and we were, like, in the streets, and he saw this dude who was kind of acting crazy. We've all seen those people, like, downtown acting a little crazy, and he goes over, and he's like, I'm going to pray for him, and I was like, I'll pray from here. <laughs> and like I don't know how to say this but he was like I'm going to cast out the demons out of him. So I was like as one does. <laughs> and like he he did he So like the relationship continues and and again there was things where it was like okay we we agreed on so, like so much like theologically, but like he would be like, I'm going to pray for healing for this person. And, and for, for like, just for pause for a sec. So angels and demons, I believe they're real, right? But it's just like, I haven't seen that sort of thing and that's not really my practice. And it seems that maybe it was more of something a while ago, but, and then all of a sudden he would be like, I'm going to pray for miracles for this person. And I, honestly, like, there were times when I was just like, I'm a little uncomfortable, bro. And then he was the type of dude. But the thing was, like, I just loved being around him. Because the way he treated people, how caring he was, how loving he was, how passionate he was about Father God. The way that he spoke to God when he prayed. It just drew me in. But then he would also be the person who would, like, call you out in a group. 
Like in the midst of a crowd, he would like call me out. And I'm like, bro, you just made me feel like an idiot. I may have been an idiot, but you don't got to tell everybody, you know? So anyways, we then took this trip uh, overseas to do some ministry. And we were with a group of people. And one night, he like got me, woke me up kind of late at night and was like, hey, I want to take you to this place. I was like, okay. And I'd heard a little bit about this place because, again, we're in a foreign country, and it's known for, like, sacrifices. So we're talking, like, witchcraft. We're talking, like, I don't even know how to say this. Again, maybe I should have listened to my wife. (laughs) It was like, like, picture like an abortion clinic, but like, not sterile, like, in the woods. Like, like they would sacrifice children. And this wasn't like stories of long ago. It's, it's crazy, right? So, so we're walking. It's like through the woods. We get to like this base of this cliff. Now. I don't know how to tell you, like, I'm not, like, scared in that moment, you know? But you're like, I'm a little on edge, you know? And, and so he's, he's talking, and I'm kind of like, I'm, not, I'm, in, I'm listening, but I'm not fully listening. And, and, I'm, and he's asking me questions, and I'm kind of answering, but I'm, I'm looking around trying to take it all in. You know, it's late at night. There's just kind of the realness of everything that I'm looking at and seeing around me. And I look and like the dirt next to me is like dark. And I'm like, is that like blood stained dirt? And I kind of am like start going down to, to like see closer and I can see it's red. And I'm like, it is like all around. There's dirt that's stained with blood and all of a sudden I can feel his hand on me and I look up and he says I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven now pause I just shared a story that's not about me but it's a story about Jesus and Peter. This did not happen to me, but I wonder if the story that we are going to pick up in, in Matthew chapter 16, if this is how Peter would tell it. So the story that I just told, I was not involved in. I almost made it up. If you will... It was sort of an allegory, an allegory of a story that truly happened in Matthew chapter 16. Now, some of you right now are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So wait, Jesus was the friend and Peter was like you? Yeah. And this is where my wife was like, Zane, that's too far. Like, you're going to talk about Jesus casting out demons? Have you read the Bible? 
And my wife and I got in a discussion about it, and we realized in that moment, why is it that sometimes when we read the accounts of what happened in the Bible, we keep it in the Bible? But yet if I were to share it as something that really happened, then it's too intense. Have we tried to soften what happened when Jesus walked on earth? Have we allowed it to set in what it must have been like for the disciples as they watched Jesus heal people? where they loved the way that he talked about God, that he spoke to God, but there was these other parts that got a little intense. And then you're like, okay, Zane, Zane, Zane. But was the child sacrifice part necessary? (laughs) Jesus, in Matthew 16, when he's speaking to the disciples, the part that I quoted was Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What you need to know is where Jesus spoke about that situation was in this area called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi, the specific location, is a place where there were altars and monuments to foreign gods. We have a picture of roughly what people think it may have looked like back in the day, nestled against a cliff with these monuments of seven actually different tributes where people would go to sacrifice animals. But then even one of them was to a god named Pan, which was sort of meant to be like Pan as in God who's over all. And this god required human sacrifice. And in one of these places, there was like a a cavern that would go deep down into the earth. And deep down into the earth, this is an actual picture of the place as we see it today. It's been covered in dirt, but that where the dirt part is was actually a spring that would go below the earth, and that's where they would throw children to be sacrificed to gods. And this is where Jesus takes Peter to say these words. I want to read the whole bit so you get a bigger perspective of the passage. Matthew 16, 13 through 19 says this. Now, when Jesus came in to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And listen, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And listen to this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Remember, they are standing at a place that is literally like hell on earth. And Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That cave, if we can go back to that last picture, and that cavern was literally named the gates of hell. And Jesus takes Peter to this place and says, I'm handing you the keys to the kingdom. And it is here in like the darkest of dark places that Jesus empowers Peter. So I want to talk about a couple things first. First, how did it start? Jesus asked Peter, right? He says, who do people say that I am? And this part is important, right? He's kind of getting a survey. Hey, what, what, what's, what's kind of the talk of town? Peter's like, hey, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that um, you're Jeremiah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And he's like, okay, I, that's cool. I hear what others say I am. And then Jesus flips it and he says, but who do you say I am? And listen to what Peter says. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's interesting about that is a lot of scholars argue, okay, was he saying that on Peter, Jesus would build his church? They're standing in front of that rock. Is he saying, this rock at the gates of hell is where you're going to start your church? Seems like an odd church plant, right? Like Grace Church, our next campus will be at the gates of hell. (laughs) You know, like, invite your friends. (laughs) And so there's this, like, talk of, well, what was Jesus talking about? What's interesting is the way that Jesus addresses Peter. He says, you are Petrus, which is a clever, it essentially means rock. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Because Peter essentially is translated rock. But what's interesting is the way he addresses Peter, the way he says rock the second time. When he addresses Peter, he uses the word rock as in like a stone that you could hold in your hand. But when he says, I will build my house or my church on this rock, he uses the word for like foundation or bedrock. So in a sense, he's saying, Peter, yes, you're going to be an important part. But the foundation is the statement that you just gave. 
that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of God. And he's like, this is what I will build the foundation of my church on is the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done, that he is the son of the living God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on our behalf, that he will be raised to new life. This is the gospel. And on this message is where I will build my church, on that truth. And What's cool is he sort of confirms it in the next sentence where he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So if you have come to know Jesus, it's not been because you discovered it because you're really smart and figured it out. It has been a work of God. It is something that only he can do. Only he can sort of speak, flip the switch of a person's soul. And so... Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is going to build his church. And he says, and it's going to be built on the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is. He's the son of God, that he really did overcome death, that he really is the one who's ruling and reigning. He is God in the flesh on that truth. And that truth, we can't convince someone of it. We can't force them into it. It has to be only a work of God. Because only he can give life to someone. But then what's so interesting to me is what he says to Peter. Matthew 16, 19. So I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This idea that like, what you do here matters in eternity. And, and, and but so many people are like, well, what are the keys? The keys go back to the statement. The keys, what scholars talk about, is the ability to unlock heaven and let people in. The keys that, that he's entrusting to Peter, he later entrusts to all his followers to say, I now have given you the power, the ability, the authority, the key to unlock heaven and allow people to be ushered in. I've given you access to bring people in to heaven. Now, maybe this will help, and uh, I, so this is a true story. This is not a made up. This will be actually a Zane story that really did happen. You're like, we're never trusting you again. <laughs> um, so I was working at a Bible school uh, probably 10 years ago, a little bit longer ago, and uh, at the time, I was, I was only making $250 a month. Uh, so, man, actually, it was like, 15 years ago. See, it was a long time ago, 100 years ago. And uh, I had started traveling and speaking at different churches. But I mean, I was like broke. So I'd travel and I'd speak at these different churches. And I was on the way to speak at this youth group. And my car broke down. And I got so bummed. And I was like, I was like so mad, and I didn't have the opportunity to preach at that church, so I missed their youth group. Uh, luckily, one of the students from the youth group said, hey, you could stay at my place. So I stayed at their place, so I tried to figure out what was going to happen with the car. I ended up having to get it towed because it was done for. And, and I'm hanging out with that student like, kind of late at night, and the student was like, well, what are you going to do about your car? And I was like, well, it's done for. I don't, I don't know. And he's like, 
Hmm. You're 15 years old. And he goes, I'm going to buy you a new car. I was like, that's cute, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like, bro, you don't even have a job. You don't have a car to get to the job you don't have. Like, what do you mean you're going to buy me a car? And he was like, no, I want to buy you a car so that you can keep going and preaching the gospel. I was like, it's kind of cool, but no, thanks, man. You know, I appreciate it. You know, and it was kind of like, I appreciate your, your gesture. So I went back up. Finally, I had to uh, uh, take a taxi all the way back to the Bible school. I was there. Uh, a couple weeks later, I ended up actually buying a uh, Oh, oh, sorry. And in the conversation, he said, what would be your dream car? And, you know, I'm like, there's no way this kid's buying a car. But when he said, what would be your dream car? I was like, doesn't hurt to dream a little, you know? <laughs> so I was like, dude, it'd be a, back in the time I lived up in the mountains. So I was like, it'd be a 2000, you know, back in the day, uh, Subaru WRX wagon. I'm talking turbo, five-speed, all-wheel drive, like something that I could just rip those mountain roads, you know? And then I'd like the, the wagon so I could throw all my snowboards in, pack my friends in, and hit the slopes. And he's like, okay, sweet. Start looking. Whatever. So then I go back up to the Bible school, and, you know, a couple weeks go by. I end up finding a car at the junkyard, because that's the only one that I can afford, and I buy a car at the junkyard. I think we have a picture of my old car, so you know that I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, dude, she was mighty fine. So here's the deal. So that car, I bought at the junkyard. P.S., if you get a car from the junkyard, you know, that's where, that's where cars go to die, not that people go to buy, right? So avoid. Uh, I literally drove up to one of the churches, this nice church in Denver, um, and you can take it down, thanks. And literally, it's like giving me PTSD or something, just looking at it. Um, I, I, one of the door panels fell off in the church parking lot that I was speaking at this church, you know, and the pastor walks me. I was like, is that your car? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, it's door panels sitting in our, you know, driveway. I was like, Consider it a donation. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> a couple days later, I get a call from the kid. He's like, did you find your dream car? I was like, mm, not exactly, but, you know, I got something that works, bro. And he's like, no. Did you find a Subaru WRX wagon? I was like, no. He's like, well, I told you to start looking. So we hung up the phone, and I was kind of like, doesn't hurt to look. <laughs> so I started researching. Found one, but dude, way out of my price range. Kid calls a couple weeks later. I've raised all the money. I'm buying you your dream car. A week later, this next car showed up in my driveway, purchased by a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, I know. And what's crazy, as I still drive it today. Uh, so... That's the Subi, yep, all-wheel drive, turbocharged. I mean, that thing, five-speed, it rips. I mean, not by today's standard, but it rips, you know? <laughs> uh, and you know what's kind of funny? That's cool. And uh, so all of a sudden, I just went back to life, and can this be real? I parked the car in the driveway, and I kept driving that old beater. That old one with the door panel falling off, rusty. Do you know why? 
hey, thanks for asking. <laughs> One of my buddies, who literally, who I was roommates with, was like, bro, you have your dream car. Why have you parked it in the driveway? And I was like, you know what? Because I don't feel like I deserve it. I didn't feel like I was good enough for it. I didn't feel like I knew how to say thank you for it. I mean, I asked my roommate, I was like, bro, yeah, it's the sickest car I've ever had. I, I can't drive it. Like, I don't deserve it. And anyways, how would you say thank you? Like some dude gave you a car. What do you Thanks, bro. <laughs> Write him a card? Thanks for the car. How do you say thank you? I'll never forget what my roommate said. He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Zane, the way you say thank you is you drive it. And I, it hit me and I thought about that so much since that day. And I realized I had received the keys to a brand new, to me, car. But I had parked what had already been possessed. And in the same way, I wonder if some of us have been given the keys to the kingdom of God, but instead we have parked what he has promised. That you have full access to the keys to the kingdom of God. But like me, some of us think, well, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. I don't even know how to say thanks. Like, I'm just a teenager. The keys to the kingdom? I'm mean, Growing up, my dad wouldn't give me the keys to the Pinto. That's like a really junky car for those who are like, what's a Pinto? <laughs> but yet your Father in heaven says, I have given you the keys to the kingdom of God, that you have been given access to open heaven up and invite others in. But yo, okay, this last, I was studying through this and then it hit me. Keys to the kingdom. All the scholars that I read talked about it's the way that we've been given access to open heaven up so people can be invited in. What if it's keys not only to let people into heaven, but to let heaven into earth? What if the keys that you've been given are not only to bring your friends to God, that they might one day live in heaven, but that you've been given keys to bring heaven to earth so that your friends can meet God. Some of you are like, bro, that's too far. When the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, what does he say? You, when you pray, say, our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. 
your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. Bring heaven to earth. That you don't just go to school as a high schooler, but you go to school as one who has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That you have access to the climate and the atmosphere and the values of heaven, and you have the ability to unleash it here. But how do we do that? I love what Galatians 5 says. Check it out, what Paul says. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That as we abide in Jesus, spend time with him, we, we spend time getting to know him through his word, through worship, through community, that his Spirit flourishes, grows within us, and his fruit comes from without us, within us and out of us. So the fruit of the Spirit is a result of the root of your life. So you stay connected to him, and you overflow with the characteristics of heaven on earth that you have the ability to change not only your friends' lives, but your community, your church, your sports team, your school, because you have been given the keys to the kingdom of God. Levi, you have been given the keys to the kingdom of God. So don't park what he's promised. He's given you the authority and the ability to unleash heaven here. And that's what this world needs, isn't it? More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. But guess what? Only he can do that. And so maybe the question is, so Zane, how do I do that, though? I think Jesus gives us the key, and I'll wrap up with this, in the very next part of this Matthew 16 passage. Matthew 16. Is it up on the screen? Yes, I can't find it on my notes. Awesome. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You see, the way that we unleash his life on earth is when we're willing to deny our life on earth. When we're willing to say no to our own fleshly desires and yes to him. You see, when we're willing to lay down our life, we then allow him to live his life through us. And then he 
produces that fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's not because you work harder and you're like, I'm going to be more Christian today. <laughs> it's as you spend time saying, God, my life's not my own, but I want to trust in you. Only you can produce these things in me. Look what Paul says in Galatians. I know I think I said that last verse. This is the last, last verse. <laughs> Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one who gave his life for me. So in the same way that you trust in Jesus' death to get you to heaven, trust in his resurrection so that you can live on earth, that he will produce his life and the climate of heaven, the atmosphere, the values, and the keys to unlock heaven. I don't have the keys anymore. Levi's got them. But so do you. Father God, I thank you so much that uh, you have given us the keys to the kingdom. And Lord, may we not park what you have promised, but may we say thank you by unleashing everything that you've given to us. And may we do that by abiding and resting and trusting in you to live that life through us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.